0: Before our Holy Fathers gave us the Nicene Creed, before the later Apostles' baptismal creed, the creed of the first Christians, the proclamation which summed up our faith and really encapsulated the gospel, was simply, Jesus is Lord. That is the original apostolic creed. That is the gospel that the Apostles preached to the world. Now, over the centuries... And over the times come, the church has had to elaborate on that shortest of sermons. But it is good for us to remember that this proclamation, Jesus is Lord, is the essence of the gospel. When St. Thomas touched the glorified wounds, he cried out, my Lord and my God. St. Peter, in his first great sermon to the nations, declared, God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, both Lord and Christ. St. Peter also declared to the house of Cornelius that Jesus is Lord of all. St. Paul promises that if you declare with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. John, in his apocalyptic representation of the warrior lamb, says... They will make war with the Lamb, but the Lamb will conquer them, because He is Lord of Lords and King of Kings. This revelation that Jesus is Lord, it comes by the Holy Spirit, who is the Spirit of Jesus, inasmuch as He glorifies Jesus as Lord. No one can say Jesus is Lord, except by the Holy Spirit. St. Paul also tells us that God highly exalted Him. And gave him the name that is above every name, so that the name of Jesus, every knee will bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. When we come to the end of the age, on the final day of this operation mop up, when the leash of Satan is choked tight and the fruits of Christ's victory are fully manifest, Christ will stand up at his throne and fulfill his divine justice. The wheat will be separated from the chaff. Every deed will be taken into account at that great reckoning. And at that time, this confession will be on every tongue. Jesus Christ is Lord. Now the Jews, they wouldn't pronounce the name Yahweh, which you know. So they came to refer to God as Adonai which means Lord, it's from the root for Lord. And when the Old Testament was translated from Hebrew into Greek, the name Yahweh was translated as Kyrios, Lord and Master, Ruler. Lord is used to refer to God in the Greek Old Testament 7,000 times. And in the Greek New Testament, Kyrios is used to refer to Jesus 700 times. In antiquity, Gentile kings were also called Lord. And in their mind, kings were also thought to be sort of demigods, thought to be divine. So this description of Lord, master ruler, for them took on a religious connotation. But not only among the Gentiles, the pagans, also in the Jew, among the Jews, because of their translation of this in the Old Testament. So in both thoughts, there's this connection between God and the king. For the Jews, God was their ultimate king, lord, and master. And for the pagans, their king was divine. This is the context in which we understand this proclamation, that Jesus Christ is lord and king. When the eternal logos, the second hypostasis of the holy trinity, became a human, there was an important pronouncement made by the archangel Gabriel. He came to the young virgin... The Annunciation and he said and behold thou shalt conceive in thy womb and bring forth a son and shall call his name Jesus. And he shall be great and he shall be called the son of the highest. And the Lord shall give unto him the throne of his father David. And he shall reign over the house of Jacob forever and of his kingdom there shall be no end. Here we are at the most momentous moment in history till that date. And the message God sends by the angel is that Mary's son will sit on a throne and reign forever and have a kingdom which will not end. We also know that St. John the Baptist came preparing the way for the kingdom. And Jesus, as he inaugurated his ministry, came preaching first the kingdom of God. And we fast forward to the very end of his earthly life, which we heard in our gospel lesson this morning. And Pilate asks him, are you the king of the Jews? He says, you say rightly that I am a king. For this cause I was born, and for this cause I have come into the world. Right at the very end, Jesus brings us back to the message of Gabriel at the beginning, at his birth. A message, by the way, which Jesus gave to Gabriel to give to Mary. (laughs) Who told his mother that he was coming into this world as man in order to return to his majesty as God made man, made king. Now, according to our dogma, we speak of the monarchy of the Father in our Trinitarian dogma, in the triune relations. But the proclamation that we make today, Jesus is Lord, in this feast, celebrating Christ as King, is a slightly different slant than that. This proclamation that Jesus is Lord not only declares that Jesus of Nazareth, Mary's boy, to be eternal God, but it also declares him as the fulfillment of the divinely inspired images of of images of king and ruler throughout the history of mankind going all the way back to Adam himself he is the fulfillment of all of these images he is the true king the true master the true ruler when we say he is master and ruler to whom we owe obedience we do not think of him as a a despot or a tyrant or a harsh dictator he is a benevolent ruler Who has laid down his life for us. As king. He defeats our enemy. And he brings peace to his subjects. Peace to his kingdom. He settles us in his peace. He then orders our life. In a harmonious proportion. So that our life can be content. And beautiful in the kingdom. He provides nurture. And sustenance for us. He has prepared a sumptuous banquet for us, but not just in food, also in treasure, great treasures. As king, he is gift giver. It's a very strong theme in medieval epic poetry, the king giving gifts to his subjects. Christ the king ascended on high and gave gifts to men. Of all the various ways that we relate and think of Jesus Christ, as our elder brother, our friend, the divine teacher, the healer, the redeemer, the sacrificial lamb. We must never forget that Jesus Christ is Lord. Especially as we are engaged in spiritual warfare. There are two things that I want to stress in this regard, of our spiritual warfare and Christ as Lord. First, that we have everything we need to win this battle that we are in. If we choose to take it seriously... If we stand alert and take up the weapons that we have been given, we can overcome the enemy in Christ who has overcome the enemy. We can see the darts coming and we can deflect them and we can stand tall with confidence before God. I say this because sometimes I think we've given up hope that this is true. We feel beaten down. We feel, you know, we, we, we believe the lie of the enemy that we'll never actually get ahead, make any progress, that it's a losing battle. But it's not. You actually can resist temptation. You actually can live victorious in God. And if you get a little taste of that, of that victory, it's actually very intoxicating. <laughs> it's, very, it's very delightful. It's luscious. <laughs> you think, I want more of that. It's so much better to live a life of victory, a life of love and peace and joy, and kindness, a life in the spirit. So much easier, so much nicer than a life of defeat. And we have all that we need to do that. Secondly, this relates to the first. Secondly, the absolute worst thing you can do is go out to battle and or attempt to solve your problems without Christ. That's where we make our mistake. Without calling on him in prayer. And I mean really calling and calling and keep calling. On your knees with tears and desperation. That kind of calling. Not a casual calling. Really calling on him. For his help. In every area of your life. No matter how small or great. To call on him. Not to go out to battle with the enemy. Or to try and solve whatever problem you're facing. On your own in your own strength, without calling on Christ. Also, without subjecting yourself to His rule in your life. This is the root of every sin. It's the root of the first sin, and every sin since. And if we do this, if we behave in this way, if we go out to face our Philistines without consulting with Christ, there will be certain failure. In fact, it is God Himself Who will sabotage your efforts. (laughs) Actually. Yes, that's true. God himself. You will make God your enemy. In your efforts. Because he loves you. Because he's not going to let you succeed without him. You know, if you're hitting a brick wall. You know what that feels like. It's kind of like. Hitting the ceiling. Dead stop. Or maybe your bucket seems to have a hole in it. Trying to fill your bucket. It's all just running out. You have to ask yourself why. It's important. Why is this happening? Why am I in this place? Because there's a problem. There is a problem if that's where you are. And we are in that place many times. There's a problem. And it usually can be fixed. By returning to our faith. And that proclamation in our life. That Jesus is Lord. In the name of the Father and of the Son. And of the Holy Spirit you have been listening to father patrick cardeen pastor of saint patrick's orthodox church in bealton virginia this has been a production of the orthodox west